I'm John Underhill, and this is the Red Special Guitar Podcast. Hi there, and welcome back to the Red Special Guitar Podcast, or welcome if you're brand new listening to the show. And for those of you that are new, this is the place to come to listen to stories from people all around the world who've been inspired by the legendary Red Special Guitar built by Brian and Harold May back in the early 60s, when a young Brian May was looking for an electric guitar and the family couldn't afford one. Firstly, this week, I would like to say thank you so much to everyone for bearing with me. It's been about a month since you've updated with a new episode, and thanks so much for for just being patient um there's a lot more coming out soon and there's some really exciting stuff on the horizon in like next week from when this goes live so please do stick around check us out on facebook youtube instagram there's going to be photos soon and yep the channel's getting a little bit more updated which is fantastic and i'm so excited to share some of the other stories that i've been fortunate enough to listen to and some of the other things i've seen that with you all it's, it's going to be great so thanks very much for that I also want to say thanks so much to you all for listening. Um, the numbers are staggering to me of how many people have actually downloaded and listened to this or watched this on YouTube, which is crazy. And thanks to my patrons on Patreon who have been supporting the channel now for some good few months. Um, you guys really rock. And for the price of a, a cup of coffee per month, helping me out with all of the subscription costs to host the podcast and then the editing software and other bits and pieces is absolutely fantastic. So if anyone's interested in supporting supporting the podcast, then head on over to Patreon and have a look. So now, without further ado, let's move over to this week's guest. But ladies and gentlemen, I would like to welcome to the Red Special Guitar Podcast, Adrian Turner, A.D. Turner from Aderson Pickups. Hi, A.D., how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good, good. Um, how have you been over the last 12 months? Has, has COVID affected you much? Not really that much because I think luckily we're in quite a rural location here anyway. And um, luckily, again, I've got a big lump of land, so I don't have to go out and see many people. All my workshops are here behind me, as it were. So... Um, the lockdown to me has been work as normal, believe it or not. It's all I've had to do is get my, my wife occasionally to go and send stuff out, post stuff out and stuff like that. Um, but the lockdown otherwise have, haven't really felt it. I, that's a terrible thing to say, but, um, as I say, because we're quite rural, I, you know, it doesn't really affect us like it does with people in the cities, etc. So, yeah, no, that's understandable. And so are you still making making pickups currently? Is that the only thing you're doing or are you? Well, uh, the pickups are ongoing. I mean, we'll get into the story as we go along. Um, I didn't want to be solely a, a pickup maker. It sort of took over my world, as it were. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, lots of people have been at home and lots of people modifying guitars and doing whatever so the punch presses are still going and and things like that so as i say luckily everything is here it's um yeah it's all coming out of here so 
I've had to rely a little bit on on uh, platers and stuff like that, but they've been very good, and it's all been done via courier and stuff like that. So good, nice to know you're safe, and you're looking very well there. Um, <laughs> Just got out of a long day at work and climbed in the bath, so <laughs> a bit draggled. And I'm just having a bit. Yeah, no, cheers indeed. I would just like to point out, although we are on Zoom, AG is not in the bath as we speak. He sat to a table. For anyone worrying about what I'm, what we're looking at. So, so Adrian, tell me how you um you got into all of this craziness because. I th- you you ended up originally buying the original, and I'm going to s- mispronounce this and probably get stick for this, but Fenton Wheel, is it pronounced? Well, in, in the UK, we always say Fenton Wheel, but it, it's actually vile, like Kurt Vile. Uh, uh, Henry, Henry Vile was a, a, um, a Jewish guy who came to England just before the war to avoid persecution and stuff. And... Um, He'd got a lot of, a lot of music contract uh, contacts in Germany still, sort of like the early days of um, pre-Hoffner and stuff like that. So he'd been in the business a long time. And Henry Weil really is the unsung hero. If, if you talk about British guitars, everybody says Jim Burns straight away. But what they don't realise is that Henry Weil was going before that mainly as an import-export person, but then he started making stuff himself. Um, He sort of got overtaken by the whole Burns thing, I think because he made components and guitars and stuff for other people. So they were badged as Dallas or, um, you know, whatever, Um, but not Fenton Will. And... Just like Burns, a lot of the early stuff was crude. It was, you know, quite crude. But as they progressed, they they got better and better. And and he was a clever guy. And I always admired that, which is when I saw the the trademark floating around, I don't know, 25 years ago or whatever it was. I thought, it's a shame if that disappears. So I, I bought it. Um, it was going to end up in China and um, a guy wanted to make radios and put it on or something. And I thought, no, nah, it deserves better than that. Because I'd met a lot of these guys, um, you know, Jim Burns. A lot of the early people that were involved, I, I'd, I'd chatted to them. Um, and you, you always hear a different story talking to them than you actually see written down. And um, it was, it always interested me. I, I, I mean, how I got into it all was basically I, I've always made and restored guitars since, I don't know, my family, my, my folks were very much post-war people make, do and mend. Um, if, I, if you wanted anything, if you could make it or restore something, that's the only way you were going to get it because there was five of us and no money. So um, you had to make it. And when I first got interested in in guitars, it wasn't because I wanted to be Jimi Hendrix or whoever. They actually fascinated me. I couldn't understand 
how such a loud noise came out of something so small. And that always intrigued me and, and got me really interested. And my dad, of course, bless him, long gone now, but he said to me, he probably thought it was going to be a seven-day wonder, you know. I'd changed my mind after a while. And, and he basically said, well, your cousin's got one. Let's measure it up and we'll, we'll make one. You know, I just started doing a bit of woodwork and that sort of stuff. Probably, he probably thought that I would totally lose interest and it would end up on the fire or something. But um, um, I made one and it worked. So I think that he was quite flabbergasted. He actually bought me one after that because <laughs> he knew I was I was interested in it. And um, remarkably, as well, the weird thing is because. And I was telling Andrew Guyton about this. Um, that first guitar that I made was bizarrely similar to the Red Special. Now, I'd never even heard of Brian May. Um, I mean, mine was cruder because I was, I was very young, but um, it didn't have binding and all that. But the, 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 the shape was quite similar. Um, the scale was quite similar because I'd, I'd measured up an old Burns or something. And, um, yeah, it was bizarre, especially the outline shape. When you've got nothing to work with, when you've got nothing to copy, you think, well, how's that going to work and how comfortable and what's that going to do and how far am I going to be able to get? Those sort of stupid things which... Later, when I'd heard of Brian May, you, you kind of think, oh, yeah, I've been there. I know what he was sort of thinking, you know. Um, no. Well, it transformed because after the first one I'd made, the guy next door to time had an old Hofner senator. been in his loft and it... it he he had been a seven-day wonder. He'd bought it thinking, you know, I'll learn to play this and done nothing with it and then shoved it in the loft. So my dad offered him 30 bucks for it or something and he said, yeah, okay, you can have it. So I got that. So the first thing I did immediately was take mine apart and remod it, trying to put shapes into it, make it more comfortable. It was a working project, as it were. And... I, I used that for years as a working project until there was very little of it left. Um, all the bits had been taken off and reused somewhere else and stuff like that. Uh, I think there might be a, the remains of the neckline round somewhere, but that's probably about it. But um, it had got no truss rod in it because I didn't know what a truss rod was at an 11-year-old. I knew it had to have some sort of neck support. but. Um, Anyway, I won't go into that, but um, regarding the pickup, what I used to do was I used to come home from school because I had no idea about pickups. And now I've got this Hoffner, which had got a, a diamond pickup on it, diamond logo pickup. I used to take that off the Hoffner. This is nearly every day, remember. Put it onto my homemade one, which was solid. The Hoffner was obviously an arch top. It was for a youngster, it was like that, you know, you're hanging over. Yeah. <laughs> and 
I'd play my guitar and then carefully at the end of the day, take the pickup back off and put it back on. Now, after about six months of that, it broke. Um, the pickup just stopped working. And this is how I got into pickups. Basically, my dad said, you need to go and see an armature winder and get, get it repaired. This was way before the days of just going and buying another one or a Damasio or whatever. You couldn't do that then. It, it just, you yeah. know, it didn't happen. So I went to the armature winder and it was an old guy sat there and I, wa I said, can I watch? Because I'd caught the bus there with it, with this pickup. <laughs> and he said, yeah, sure. He said, it'll only take me 10 minutes or something. So I watched him take it apart, measure it up and strip the old wire, put it on the machine, wind a new pickup, put it all back together, solder it up. And I was sat there thinking, I could do that. You know, I could, I could, what he's just done, I know how it works now. And I started mucking around, um, making my own pickups, just hand winding them. And, and it's great when you went, even if it's the crudest thing you've ever seen and it works, you got a great big smile on your face. Cause, um, yeah, definitely. and it was great. Um, when I was working on those, um, early Brian May pickups for Andrew, you know, he did the original ones, the white ones. Yeah. Um, it was great because I went to Andrew's and we, he got the original ones there. And you could actually pick him up, pick him up and have a good look and see what he'd done. Because I think he was about 15 or something when he made those. And yeah, 15, um, 16. you can relate to it. You can see where the ideas come from and... I mean, he got the poles wrong, but there's nothing that I can't fix now. You know, I could have solved that. Um, but it was interesting to see how his take on it and some of the early ones I used to do, which, were, in all fairness, were quite similar. You work with what you've got when you've got nothing, you know, you, you make it happen. Um, the, the reason why I got into Trisonics um, as I say, I, I had no idea about Brian May and all that. Um, he was only just starting to come very well known when when I'd already gone past that stage, as it were. Um, the, tri the trisonic thing came about um, because I bought a couple of, I think there was three old Bones guitars um, from a junk shop. And they were literally in bits and pieces. There was a box full of bits and pieces. And, and they were all trisonic instruments. I think there was a Viber artist and a Sonic. And there was another one as well. I can't remember. Um, but I've only got two pickups, two of the original pickups. And I remember thinking they just started, I think Kent Armstrong had just started making them or you know, he just reissued them. It must have been around, I don't know, 1980, something like that, or something. I, I don't know. Um, so I thought, well, that's fine. I can get some new pickups and we'll be well away. 
but there was two originals there. One wasn't working and one was working. And they must have been circa 61, something like that. Um, and anyway, I restored the guitars and got it all fine. And I'd got the original scratch plates and wiring and stuff. And I wired one of the pickups up and it sounded absolutely great. So these are good pickups. They're, you know, I like these. They're, they're good. And um, I fixed, managed to fix the other one because magnets and casing and everything was there. And um, basically I bought some new ones thinking, yeah, I'll just shove these on. But when I got them, I realized these are a lot different. They're not the same. A, they were almost half again as deep because of the long legs and the longer casing. And they were wound very hot. Um, so that if you were pushing an amp with them, they tended to be very um, fizzy and not smooth. So I thought there's something, you know, something wrong here. Anyway, cut a long story short, I'd already fixed one of them, put the cord, and that sounded the same as the other one. So I thought, at the time I was working in London, and a lot of the, basically in the 70s and, and early 80s, if you walk down Denmark Street, a lot of the shops there had been buying up stocks from companies that had closed down um, and I think a lot of it must have been from the Baldwin factory Baldwin production had been moved over to Italy a lot of the stuff had been left here, a lot of the stuff had gone over there and I used to walk around in my lunch break down Denmark Street and you'd find boxfuls of old Hofnernecks and all sorts of things because the factory had closed and a fiver you could buy one, you know, it was it was that sort of scenario. Nobody wanted them. Um, no. They were very uncool. Today. I know, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the Brandoni, the guy in Wembley, bought up all the eco stuff. Um, a lot of the burn stuff was built at that factory. Um, yeah. People don't realize that. Um, because Baldwin moved it all over there. Um, so they'd got a lot of stuff in there that they didn't know what it was. They had no idea. And because I'd been fiddling around with trisonics and stuff, they'd got tooling and stuff like that. And like, they, like I say, they hadn't got a clue what it was. They didn't know. And gradually I started buying it up because I could see that it um, this was early Burns stuff. And a lot of, lots of flukes happened. I spoke to Jim Burns on the phone, and um, I went to, I think I went to fix something in, in North London somewhere, and there was, a, there was an armature winders there, and I went, went in there, and he said, oh, yeah. He said, we used to make stuff for Burns, because they were based not, far away and literally just chatting with them yeah. and i said you're joking what did you used to make and he said you used to wind coils for them for the pickups 
And I said, you're joking, uh, and stuff like that. And they had bits lying around, and he told me how they used to make them and stuff like that. So a bit of good luck, a bit of fluke, and right place at the right time, I guess. But all of a sudden, I was looking around thinking, I've got the tooling, I've got bits, I've got boxes of original magnets and stuff like that. And... Um, Anyway, I made the pickups for those guitars um, yep. that had got missing pickups. And people just kept looking, and, and that's how it started. They said, oh, yeah, I've got one of them, and somebody's nicked it to make a, a Brian May guitar. Can you make me some more pickups <laughs> for it? And there, that happened a lot. I mean, yeah, the demise of many a Burns guitar is through the Brian May fans, basically. Um, I wouldn't like to comment about no. <laughs> we've all ripped apart between us to get those pickups. And the funny thing is, the further I got into it, you realise they were the wrong pickups because Trisonics um, were model specific, although they'd all got Burns Trisonic written on them. Um, they were matched to whatever model they were going on, so and over quite a wide t time frame as well. So, you know, I still see it today. You'll see people on the internet saying, vintage Trisonic for sale, same as used by Brian May. And you look at it and think, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but anyway, that's how I got into it because people kept asking me, I've got a, a guitar with pickups missing or I've got one that's broken can, can you fix it because nobody could you know you take you take it took a early 60s trisonic to a conventional pickup rewinder or whatever they'd look at you and go can't do that, that that's got a weird yeah. air coil in it you know so but I remember the um Kent Armstrongs that were available when I started getting in, interested in all this I mean firstly you could only buy them from the states and secondly, I think they were bobbin wound. So yeah. They're different. They had the longer legs. And although we got relatively close to, to the tone, you always felt like there was something missing. And I remember, I think it was probably Mark Reynolds who first introduced you to the, the four, first introduced the forum to you, I think, or it might have been Matt Hutchison, one of those sorts of people. And um, all of a sudden it was it sort of, the forums exploded with the ability to <laughs> this chap Adrian Turner's building these accurate replicas of Trisonic pickups and well before Mark to... sort of got hold of me I'd, I'd been repairing them and, and remanufacturing bits of them for years and digging into the spares bit that I'd bought up a yeah. good probably I don't know getting on for 10 years before that but it was always oh. just a, a trickle um, it wasn't yeah. a big thing I'll tell you how it started developing. Um, all of a sudden, I got a phone call, I think it was, from Greg Fryer um, when he was building the, is it John, Paul, George, and Ringo, or whatever it was, guitars. Yeah, the three, John, Paul, and George. Yeah. And he, he what he'd done was he'd made his own pickups um, out of bits of old ones, but for the coil, um, he'd actually used a Gibson bobbin, I think, a Les Paul bobbin, a single one. 
and well, he wasn't getting the results he wanted anyway. Um, and he was a great one for trying different wire gauges, Greg. He, try this one, try this one, try, and eventually <laughs> I knew what they used, so it was like, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm not knocking Kent Armstrong's pickups, um, perfectly good pickups. Um, oh, definitely. There's nothing wrong with them. And they were, he, all he'd done is, is Americanize them. He'd turned them into a, a basic trisonic format with a bit more oomph and, you know, hotter magnets and stuff. They work great, but they, if you A-B'd them with one of the originals, um, they, they were very different. And, and especially if you're restoring a vintage guitar, they just look way out of place. It was, definitely. you know. De definitely. And for the, the Brian May fan, that, as you know and found out over time, we are pretty precise on, because the Red Special is such an iconic instrument and there are, you couldn't at that point go and buy one off the shelf. And I think the BMGs or the Burns, Brian May guitars are coming out with the Kent Armstrong pickups, but all of us are mad, as you know, and found out on wire gauges inside the guitar, the correct switches, the correct phase yeah. posts, the correct things on that. You know, it's everything has to be right because we'd all, or up until that point, had to make do with what we had. And then all of a sudden, we had you, and you were able to say, well, I can make the pickups how they were made originally, not a modern equivalent. And it was a massive moment for everyone on the forum. All of a sudden, we had access to someone that could reproduce the correct thing that looked right and sounded a lot better than we could ever get before. It was, it was a magical moment. It's it's bizarre how it works out because um, I, I can remember people, I forget who it was that said to me when I came in with boxes of 30-year-old magnets and stuff and, what the hell are you going to do with them? You know, what? what's the point of that typing? What a waste of money and all that. But it's, um, yeah, it's funny how things work out. But, um, yeah, the trisonic thing's weird. I, I actually, I mean, I'm, I've seen and the guitar, obviously, numerous times now in bits. And um, had a good look at the pickups and... There are a lot of myths and a lot of misunderstanding about them. Um, there's no special switch, you know, there's no magic switch. Yeah. Um, they're pretty standard pickups for their time, for that time frame. And that time period was a bit weird because um, Burns was actually, when Brian May got those pickups um, off Charing Cross Road, Burns was just selling up. They, it was changing over to Baldwin. Um, in fact, it, I, I, I've never checked the dates, but it might, they might have been owned by Baldwin then. Um, and what happens when a big company takes over another company, um, they use up the inventory. They use up whatever they got lying around. And there was a period right when Brian May bought his pickups where you'd got obviously they got box loads of coils box loads of magnets um, 
covers and base plates dating from 1960 or whatever. Um, and it was like, okay, if it, if that will fit in there and that will go in there, make it work. That's how companies yeah. think, you know, they get rid of whatever you've got before you start making new. And that's probably what's confused most people about the Brian May set is they were from that period. Um, yeah. Cause when I first saw them, I thought they've got ultrasonic coils in them. Um, which were either made in North London or Italy. They cross over. Now, the time frame is we don't know. Uh, from, yeah. the, from the hookup wires on those originals, I think they're probably the London ones, North London ones. Um, but the magnets are, are the same that they used in ultrasonic. Now, the coils in the ultrasonics are slightly bigger. Um, than the standard trisonic ones, um, but they just just fit into the casing, and that's why if you've seen in the book and you look at the coils, um, well, you know that the covers kept popping off because the coil, especially the wrapping, etc., was so tight in there that something had to give at some stage, you know. Um, Especially if you're whacking it with a sixpence all day, it, it's going to happen. <laughs> so, yeah, they're, they're more commonly ultrasonic coils that are in Brian May's one. The standard trisonic from a bit earlier, they're slightly smaller coil, fit in a lot easier. They don't sound that much different. It's not because it's a bigger coil. I'm not saying it's any more powerful or anything. Um it's just slightly longer and there was less winding so it's the same thing but yeah it only just fits in the casing um the ultrasonic magnets were about a millimeter longer as well um than, than the real tight squeeze in there then yeah so everything was sort of crammed in and as soon as i saw them i knew i thought ah oh, they're from that era because i'd already seen quite a few of those come through the biggest problem with them is because it's so they're so tightly squeezed in, um, they do tend to get damaged very easy, especially if the cover pops off. So I said to Pete Malandrone about, I don't know, 10 years ago or something, we really need to um, get them measured up and glued up because a lot of them are dying now. You know, they've just... So hopefully, uh, as far as we know, they're still hanging in there. So, but it was also a good way to have a good look at them and a good perk around to to see what was going on there. But it is from that strange crossover period between Burns and Baldwin um, that, that his are from. They're definitely that period. The covers as well. I think. Yeah, I mean, Brian may have got a drawer full of trisonics that people had sent to him and stuff um and i know i think the middle pickup didn't the cover come adrift during the show or something strange i don't know because it was on backwards for a while or something um yeah there's a photo of it and there's there's loads of different theories about it. he tried that 
I mean, then their theories, and I don't know what's right or wrong, but he tried, he turned it around to reverse wind one or to reverse the polarity of one to see how that affected it. And I don't think we ever really know, but th- th- I've definitely seen the photo with the middle pickup. Yeah, I, th- I think the cover just popped off. And it was probably yeah. a bit of a joke to stick it on the other way around. Yeah, um, yeah <laughs> reversing it round that way won't change anything anyway. You've got to literally turn it yeah. upside down. So, um, yeah, it's definitely when I've checked it out. I mean, I haven't seen it for a few years now, but it was definitely the middle pickup um, that had reverse polarity. Um, and I spoke to Greg about it once, and he said it was, was it DiMarzio were building some early in the 80s or something? Yeah, for the guilds. Yeah, and he said, somebody said to Brian then, why don't you flip the magnets over? Because they're full of glue and everything. It's not They're not the easiest things to get into. And um, he said, at least that will give you some home cancelling capability. And as far as I know, he did, and it stayed like that since. Um, there's yeah. theories about, oh, it's the bridge pickup and stuff like that. It isn't. It, it's the middle on, on the original guitar. Um, Greg used to flip bridge pickups. He preferred it like that, and a lot of other people do. I think depends on your, your playing and stuff because it will do the same thing. It, I mean, the main switching is the middle and, and bridge. Um, and it gives you a more authentic sound because originally they were all the same. I mean, for all the classic yeah, Queen recordings, they were all the same way around. The noise was yeah, horrendous. Well, but then some people argue that, well, I've been talking to a few people recently through the podcast, and interestingly, we've been talking about that sort of thing where actually the background noise and the hiss actually when it's added to the recording with the drums and the vocals and the piano it it loses and you get that red special tone that actually is probably what we all recognize and love but it's um if you'd been in the room with it at that point in isolation you'd probably what the hell is that noise (laughs) and a lot of people nowadays aren't used to it i mean we live in the digital age don't we God, the guitars I had when I was a kid, the din coming out of them was... But you li- it was normal. You lived with it, it you know? Yep. That was what it did. Um, well, it's part of the magic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and with the Red Special, um, with them all the same polarity, you will definitely um, get a better out-of-phase sound. Um, for some reason, it just works like that. But if you... Um, yeah, as soon as you flip the middle, it will quieten things down a bit. It won't get rid of hum, it will get rid of hiss a bit. Yeah. But, um, yeah, a lot of people, you see, I, I don't like treble boosters. I never have done. <laughs> and um, You can't say that around these parts. Either. No, exactly. <laughs> I, it, each to his own, you know. I mean, I, in all fairness, I don't see the point of it nowadays. You can get things that do exactly the same thing without all the racket that goes with it but um <laughs> but anyway that's just that's me personally but um i always say to guys if they're saying they've got bad noise issues i said switch your amp on full switch your guitar on full switch the treble booster off and see if the noise goes away 
99% of the time, gone. Yeah. They're, they're great but sounding. You know us a lot. Yeah, the treble oh, boosters they're... sound beautiful, but boy, do they make a noise. Wow. They certainly do. Noisy <laughs> old beasts. But it's it's that Brian May thing for us. I think it's same. It's the same thing is we want to know what pickups he's got, what switches he uses, the phase posts, the scale length, the woods, the timber, what sort of core is the blockboard, how thick is the veneer. It's that whole sort of mystery of trying to unravel what is that secret tone or that that special thing about the guitar because it is special and it's you know it's definitely. I mean, it's I, I was late getting into it really, but. And it, it was no, I mean, I didn't avoid it. I was traveling and working and doing stuff other than that. But um, once I'd heard it, yes, I mean, it is the pivotal guitar tone, isn't it? I mean, the, yeah, I don't think anybody would agree. Um, the difficulty is trying to get you know, people want to emulate it and they think they're just gonna, like I say flick a magic button and it's going to be there yeah. but it's it's, <laughs> it's never that work to get all this no anyone that's built one knows how much work goes into it and then you've, you've got people out there trying to replicate all of the various different parts of it to try and get as close as you can it's a it's a massive undertaking to <clears throat> to try and get anywhere near that ballpark but fortunately with your good self we were found ourselves with one part of the, one part of the puzzle nearly solved because you, you were making uh, <laughs> making pretty good replicas of burns trisonic pickups from the era we wanted and then obviously greg gets in touch with you and you start making pickups for him at, at what point does andy guyton pick up the phone and say uh, adrian i'm andy i'm making red specials can you help me out well andy sort of took over from greg didn't he De- greg sort of disappeared it, greg was all blood and thunder and then all of a sudden he sort of disappeared I, de- I, I seem to remember he wasn't very well or something something was going on um andy had already started building the um was it 50 that they were allowed to build or yeah. something yeah yep and um because we're opposite ends of the country um our first can't remember i think it might have been pink mandrone got involved and said you need to use these pickups because brian was using them on his backup instruments and stuff and um all of a sudden i got a phone call and i got to know andy quite well uh, lovely smashing chap it's, it's just like me though he lives in the middle of nowhere i live in the middle of nowhere yeah. doesn't make things very easy but um <laughs> I think Andy was just impressed that he would say, I want to do this and I want it to look like that and I want it to do that. And because I've got all the bits, it was like, yeah, okay. And at first they didn't want to replicate the neck pickup. I know Greg was very against it. Um, He didn't want anybody doing anything with it. He he sort of got very possessive about it. And, And in a way, I'm sort of glad that book came out because... You didn't want to say anything for upsetting Greg and Greg would be on to Pete and Pete would be on to, and so it went on and on. So it got a bit messy. Um, but like I say, there's no real secrets. They are an old set of cobbled together 
pickups really and yeah uh, yes they will give you the edge um if you've got a decent guitar to, to put them on um having said that though, there's there's one in the workshop which is just the early bones um production guitar and i've always used that as my test rig it's a really low serial number one i think it must have come straight from Burns or Pete or something. And all I did was fill the, the um, pickup routings up with oak, cut some oak the same shape. For testing the, the Andrew sets, the so-called Guyton yeah. sets, um, just to make sure that they would do what they're supposed to do. And that guitar sounds great. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just the standard production one with that yeah. set in and it works it really works well so you just sort of hope as well when you send these things out to people because they beg you for them and you try and explain to them look these things just don't fit uh, you know uh, a standard guitar you can't just hang them off yeah. a scratch player or and people have i've seen pictures people have done it and you think no you can't you know you can't do that <laughs> but you know if they've bought them then they can do what they want with them really but you always wonder if they're getting what they're supposed to get out of them yeah and it's it's a really interesting one in, in general it's that we find you, you see it a lot and you see it it's going in cycles now on the forum because we've we've got new youngsters who've watched the bohemian rhapsody movie and we've got people that um obviously in lockdown decided they want to pick up a guitar or start to learn so we're getting a lot more questions coming back on around those age-old questions of what's the best booster where do i get the best pickups what's this mm. that and the other and um you have to remind yourself you were there we were all there once but it's that striving to emulate brian may i guess and some people especially the i'm generalizing but the the younger generation will see that they can buy the bmg guitar and what's the best upgrade and mm -hmm. okay if i get the pickups those pickups it should sound a little bit closer and then mm -hmm. i sort of i, I kind of sympathize with them because i remember 20 odd years ago when you found that. out about you yeah. <laughs> 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 it's just uh you kind of want to say it's it'll be all right in 20 years mate but um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a funny one. You see, I come from an era. Where, I mean, I was speaking to some guys in the states once, and they find it amazing that Brian May made his own guitar. You know, it was like, why? You know, and they don't realise that. I mean, I can remember it here. Um, nobody got the money, and you couldn't get them. So you, you made it, and you still look on the internet today, you'll see, I bet you, you go on eBay or whatever now, you'll see home-built, home-built. And I'm not talking about taking new parts and bolting them together. These things were built in the 60s, 70s, because people couldn't afford them, and, and it was a common thing to do. And, yeah, 95% of them were rubbish. You know, they were really not worth bothering with. Um, but I've seen a lot like Brian May's guitar. Obviously, some of them aren't quite that good. And I dare say this, there's probably a few that are a bit better, you know. Um, 
dependent on if your dad was a craftsman or not, you know, it was that sort of thing. So it's not an uncommon thing in the UK, and I don't think the youngsters realise that. It, you know, we used to have to do things like that. Yeah. It's just so easy to get all the stuff now. It's, people find it. Yeah, everything is. Well, no, I mean, it's a massive change even, even for me over the last so many years. You couldn't even find the information. So, like, finding out about yourself was... Like wow, there's this chap in Bath, and he's making the pickups how exactly how they were. And now you go on to Facebook and go, "Where's the best pickups?" And they go, "Adison Guyton Spec Pickups." <laughs> and it's um, you know, we've all we all know where to point them, and but you can't get hold of them because they're really difficult to get hold of. Well, no, pe- <laughs> a lot of the time people don't realise. I mean, a lot of pickup companies, and I'm not going to name any or whatever. You know, I'm not talking them down, but they they buy in component parts and they wind a coil. Uh, winding a coil is, is is not a difficult thing to do. My nine year old nephew can wind a coil. You know, it, it's that's not the ins and outs of it. Um, without getting too technical, you you've got to know about inductance. You've got to know the difference between... Because when, when you say to people guitar pickup, they automatically think Stratocaster, Strat pickup, because yeah. they can understand that. It's magnets with a coil wrapped around it, two pieces of cardboard, boom, boom, pickup. It doesn't all, always work like that. As, as soon as you start adding metal anywhere to a pickup or near it, that becomes part of the pickup and resistance goes out the window. It's, it's all about inductance, not measuring the whole unit. Um, if you get the inductance right in any pickup, say if you've got a great sounding pickup and I want to copy it, I need to know the inductance of that pickup and I can match that. And once I've got that matched, it will sound like your pickup. Yeah. So that's the key to it. Um, buying parts in and building a pickup, anybody can do that. It's especially nowadays, you know. But when you've got to press the covers, plate the covers, engrave the covers, this is before you even think about coils. Dig out a yeah. bunch of old magnets, measure them to make sure they're the right ones. <laughs> Um, get the hookup wires, which cost a fortune. A tiny roll costs about £30. And people don't realise it. To, to do all that, and then to make matters even worse, some idiot filled them with arrow light, you know? It's like, <laughs> <why>? <laughs> so, that stuff takes a long time to dry, you know? Um, so, yeah, so. Um, it's very difficult. And... and People think you've got boxes on them stacked up, ready to go. No, it, they take ages to make. And half the time, we, you know, we'll make them and they don't hit the, the mark. We're not getting the right inductance. Yeah. There might be a bit too much chrome on them. Um, the galvanizing might be too thick, you know, that sort of thing. You've got to balance it. You try, try to describe that to people. They don't understand it. They, these aren't just random parts put together that to get that sound you have to make sure they're the same yeah so the other thing is that magnets that always confuses people 
because when I first met Greg, um, we probably sat in here actually, and and um, he said, "Oh, strontium ferrite, strontium, strontium ferrite," and yes, some of them were strontium ferrite, but they brought off different suppliers burns. You know, I need a magnet that big, that big ferrite. They didn't specify yeah. what it was going to be made of ferrite. Um, isotropic, everything was isotropic then. So, but a lot of the later ones were barium ferrite. Um, they weren't strontium ferrite. There was a big sound difference between. Well, I say big. A guitarist would hear it. Probably nobody else yeah. would. Um, <laughs> and when I first started measuring them, uh, Brian May's pickups. It's like they're very strong. You know, for for a um, so are they barium and stuff? I'm not going to give any secrets away, but you've got to take things like that into account. You can't just think, you know, I'm going to get a couple of magnets and away you go. No, it's and it's all those little things. I think we've spoken in the past as well. It's all those little bit, those small percentages here and a little percent there and a two percent in the the case and the chrome and the size of the winding and the, the cover and then even the um the signal path inside the guitar exactly. all those tiny percentages add up to the overall sound and make a bigger impact on it and you know it's to get that sound is is a lot of things have to be in the right place in the right time to make that sound happen and I don't think that gets taken into consideration as often as it should do. It, they're difficult pickups to make. Um, it's the it's a bit of a curse, really, because there are a lot easier pickups to make. You know, it's um, and we live in a world like you can, like you say, you can go on the internet, you can buy a Trisonic for I don't know twenty bucks or something. And, yeah, um, and it looks right. Um, but God knows what's in them. I have, I have no idea what's in them. Um, and I'm fairly lucky, as I say, I've got a lot of the original bits, which I sort of happened upon. But, but it was fun meeting the, the old guys as well that did these things. And it does burst a lot of myths, you know. It, it, um, when you listen to how they're actually made and what they used to do and yeah. stuff, it, it, it it makes sense though. I think there's that romantic notion in all of us that, you know, it's um Burns are making pickups and they they did this and did that and but actually it was a business and anyone that's worked in manufacturing business knows that when you need to put something out the door on time, it doesn't really matter what's inside it as long as it ticks the boxes and out it goes and you move on to the next day where your next supply comes in and you know you might have something slightly different but you kind of have to put it together and away you go and. Burns um, used to get round. It's quite that. interesting. Burns used to yeah. get round that because their wiring, their wiring uh, schematics were so complicated that they didn't know half the time what they were supposed to do <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, people think that the Brian May guitar wiring was fairly complex as far as guitars go, but you ain't seen nothing until you've opened up a vibro artist or something. Isn't it? Whoa, <laughs> dear God, what's going on there? I actually had one in not too long ago, a vibro artist, and um, I forget what I got it for. It was nothing to do with the pickups, but um, 
I plugged it in and one of the pickups wasn't working. I think it was the middle pickup. But because of the complex switching system, wherever you switched it and whatever volume you'd got on, because they're all interactive, they were wired in series, um, there was always a sound there. And I yeah. said to the guy, you do realize that that middle pickup's never even been connected. And when I took the plate off, through the wire clean off it was still the guitar was working but he'd never heard it with the middle pickup <laughs> and he'd had it for like 30 years or something yeah, blimey did he but, like how it sounded though or did <laughs> yeah it did <laughs> but that's how complex they were those things and you see a lot when when i first saw the brian may guitar internally um you see a lot of um, references to the earlier pickups, I think. You know, the, the white pickups. I think that's why they did it, because those pickups were so bright, the original ones, um, that they, they were really... I think Brian May's on record as saying he just sat there with some crocodile clips until he got what he wanted to come out. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, when we remade and heard those first-generation ones, I mean, think Telecaster Bridge Pickup and Nemtsum. Um, they were that bright. <laughs> so um, yeah. he was obviously trying to tone it down a bit, I think. Um, I was really lucky, actually. I, I was in Guyton's workshop. I dread to think how long ago, but he had the um, the guitar he made to put the, the new pit or the... Yeah. version of the pickups you made in the sh in in the workshop which he showed me and he had i was lucky enough to see the box with brian's original pickups yeah. in and there you go it's um yeah i was I, if one of those moments where i, I turned up uh, probably to pick up a guitar or drop something off us around that way in the country at some point and um he's all excited and he's john 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 come and have a look at this <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating <laughs> stuff and it's a little moment of history and i guess really it's yeah and uh, massive thing. okay his dad was a i think he was an electrical engineer or something wasn't he um yeah you look at it and you think yeah but considering they're made out of nothing um they did all right but his dad yeah. should have known about the poles <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was never gonna work yeah. too well especially at volume no. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I think in a, in a way, maybe uh, a happy accident. It didn't work out, and we ended up with the bonus trisonics because the the sound that sound that the red special creates, and we all know and recognise, is so iconic. Um, I think I don't know that it wouldn't have been as iconic if he'd used his originals, but it's sort of what we ended up with, and it's what we all know and love. And now I, we get to pester you for copies. Yeah, <laughs> I, I always wonder what. Um... And maybe I should have, yeah. The have you ever heard any other trisonics? Any of the other derivatives? The Alnico two, Alnico five. No. Um, I had a set of Kent Armstrongs, but it was that long ago. I never had them to to compare, like A B them against. So it might be some memory of sound rather than two sounds right. that I could turn well, on and off. And I often think, unless you've got that ability to have them on together like go one two one two 
your mind does crazy tricks on you after a while of listening to especially loud ac30s with trisonics yeah. through treble boosters it's bizarre because um if you if you work your way through the um all the trisonic de- derivatives as it were um so do, do you know where they came from the, the trisonics have i got time to tell you that or yeah i'd love to love yeah to. yes please well um the actual shape um in the late 50s um there was a the import duty had just been lifted i think it was 58 or something and the first batch of gaia tones came in to the country uh from japan and they had um you've probably seen the, the fenton well bulbous pickups the, the dome tops and the flat tops but they're all the same size um that, their pickups look like that um <clears throat> but they'd copied it Gaiatone in japan from a guy in i think it was sweden i think he ended up working for hagstrom or something like that um kiel i think his name was k-j-e-l-l and he was selling pickups from the early 50s which looked like henry wheels they were that shape and same sort of thing and he'd been asked where he got that shape from um and he said he copied it from les paul's log you know the the les paul put a log in between do, do you know about that it got an arch top guitar the first electric guitar supposedly um he got an arch top cut a bit out the middle put a, a log in the middle of a four by four block and i think his brother-in-law made him two pickups for the top and that goes back to 1939 or something but if you have a look at it you'll see the pickups are the same shape so that's the sort of thing now when henry will or vile came about in the sort of 57 58 um he was traveling to and fro europe to the trade shows and stuff probably saw the kiel ones from sweden i would have thought and then people in the uk for the first time saw these um gaia tones with that shape on so they sort of figured well that's the shape they've got to be you know that's that's what they should look like um now when henry was working with jim burns uh, jim asked if he could expose the magnets inside um and you can actually see it and there are pictures out there that there's a sort of crossover from wheel to burns because the inside of a wheel pickup is identical to the trisonic same magnets same coil just a bit wider that was all and all jim burns did was put six holes in the top and the original ones had, had the exposed magnets the earliest ones are alnico 2 um and, and then it went to alnico 5 and then bizarrely the ones when it brian may bought his trisonics um obviously a slimmed down version of that original pickup um they'd got the ceramic magnets because they were cheap they were budget they were the lowest pickup that burns made then 
Um, and it's weird that they became the most famous because anybody that's ever heard the original Alnico ones, especially the Alnico 2s, the very first generation, they're killer pickups. They really are. The sustain and the smoothness of the distortion is exceptional. Way better than than the ceramic ones. And I often wonder if, if Brian May had ended up with those. I know on that one, what was the, the, um, the other guitar he had, which he chucked off stage? The, the Birch. Birch one, that was it. The... I think um, he used some of the Alnico 5 magnets in there, and Brian didn't like them. Um, no. But I often wonder if that was more the actual guitar than the pickups, because it was all maple, wasn't it? It was a... Yeah, the headstock angle was different, and I think it had different relief, and it was not really a, a faithful replica of the actual guitar rather than the sound, and I think it had tuning problems, and he, he got frustrated with it and chucked it off stage, and it snapped. And um, I, I think that was more the guitar. Yeah, I think it was more the guitar than the pickup, um, because the Alnico ones, especially the Alnico twos, God, smooth as hell. They're like a vintage PAF. They really are. They're wind them up with a bit of boost and you get that lovely cello without the raspiness you know it's a smoothness um more so than the ceramic the strength of the ceramic magnet ones obviously is individually nothing to write home about um they're a good pickup they're not brilliant in any way wire them in series and put them together and just seems to come to life it, it, and obviously with the mods on the neck pickup, which he did, he was obviously looking for a bit more, you know, less quack and stuff at the front. So yeah. that's what he did. But yeah. Nice. We're lucky, I think. That he had lots of happy accidents, I think, with certain elements of Oh, definitely, things. yeah. Definitely. Um, oh, I, I do wonder sometimes... Obviously, they, design, they sat down and designed the guitar and they followed a process of coming up with ways of overcoming problems like okay we're going to use oak for the core and that's really strong and we're going to use a big chunk of mahogany so that's not going to move very much give us our strength so we need to give it a shape so we use this block board and hollow it out and they've obviously clearly thought about it and tried to come up with a an, an end product but i wonder and i I hope one day I get to speak to Brian to ask him what the actual original end product was and what they hoped it would be versus what it ended up and did mm-hmm. they over over exceed or under exceed on their own expectations that they, they set out with. Uh, from what I can gather, he was trying to build a 335, wasn't he? He, he, he sort of wanted a Gibson 335. Um, having seen the original guitar, I... Um, I think most of the tone comes from the neck um, because it's not very heavy, um, the, the neck. I, I, I asked Andrew once if he'd weighed, weighed it, and uh, I, I can't remember if he said he had or not. I, I just can't remember. My memories of it were, was that the neck was very resonant, and because of the way it's fixed, it way into the body, um, 
the amount of glue and veneer and all different types of glues on the body, I would say that's fairly negative. Um, I don't think it has a huge effect on other than a platform to fix stuff through. Um, but it seemed very resonant, which makes me think it's it's a decent piece of mahogany. It's yeah. it's very old and very dry and very resonant. And I think that's what gives it. And the old school guys, I mean, you know, you see Brian Mace do stuff and you think, yeah, we used to do, you know, like tapping it to get the feedback and stuff like that. Yeah. You can only do that if you've got resonance and microphonics and way too much volume as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, there's no great surprises. I mean, it, it, like I say, when I bought all these old bits and pieces and tools and God knows what, I never thought I'd end up... Um, Never planned on on making Brian May pickups, as it were. But it sort of just got dumped on me. Yeah, sorry about that. Because <laughs> you you then you so you, just going through the chronology, you ended up making all of the the pickups for the last of the Guyton guitars of that run of fifty, and I think you probably ended up making ones for people who'd already had them with the original yeah. Wizard pickups that Andy'd gone to, and then um. A bit of time passes and KZ ends up making the super with Greg Fryer and designing that and you ended up with a set of super Edison super pickups. The super, yeah, they came about because, um, well, for two reasons. KZ um, had already bought um, loads of pickups. I think they were Kent Armstrong. He'd already bought them. He couldn't send them back. He'd, he'd had them for a while. Um, and I, remember, I still remember it to the day he, he contacted me and said, can you um, ch swap these over for me internally, re reusing the cases? I said, well, they'll get you close, but they'll never get you because the casings are a different size, they're a different gauge. Um stuff like that the, the base plates were thicker i said you know all, all we can do is get you that much closer and yeah i'm fine with yeah. it and they were quite happy with them um when they when bmg started doing theirs um basically oh you're still there john yep i'm still here oh sorry my I can't see you anymore. <laughs> can <laughs> it's not you hear a bad me? Thing, AD. <laughs> I can hear you. Yep, I can see. Can you see Probably me? Probably your screen's gone to sleep. I can. Yep. Is your screen gone to sleep? Not doing anything. You're still there. Well, I'll just carry on then, but I can't see you. <laughs> yeah, that's um, all right. But <laughs> when the um, yeah, when BMG were doing their supers, um. They just wanted the same thing, but once again, I said to them, look, you've got to make your own covers. I haven't got enough to supply vintage covers for for everything. And they wanted their logo on them as well, but they were essentially the same pickup. Uh, on the first Supers, we, I was using a non-inductive base plate. Um, the first generation was really expensive stuff. It was sort of a stainless base 
titanium thing which had got no it had no effect on the inductance whatsoever so it, it looked like a normal base plate but it um basically meant there was nothing there there was you know it didn't affect the inductance so it gave you the same sort of sound it's more about the the magnet path um it changes if you take most of the base plate out it sort of changes the magnetic field and it sounds different um sounds a, a little bit i don't know it's supposed to sound bassier but it it actually ends up on trisonics for some reason sounding a bit treblier um so yeah, it's a bit of a weird one obviously in the design of the the cover and stuff but but yeah so we we finally managed to get bmg when they were doing to get some covers up and they were going to try and make them themselves because they wanted quite a few of them um yeah but they never seemed to get their their act together they had tons of covers and a few base plates and then they ordered forgot to order the other base plates and all sorts of crap was happening so in the end i just said look until you sort yourselves out i'm sort of walking away because it's a bit of a pain this but i don't know what they're doing now. i don't even know if they still make them now but do they I'm still sure make them still available yeah. They're still available, and I don't think you can actually. Well, I think it's been a few years since anyone's actually been able to pick one up, um, or buy one. They're still available, and there's a waiting list. But I, it's not something I was interested in um, personally, so I've never really looked into it. The problem is, you've got with guitar companies, and I find it all the time. Um, you know, they'll, they'll phone you up. Oh, I want twenty sets. It's like that ain't going to happen. <laughs> um, you know these things take a week to make it's you know how long you've got for god's sake um they don't realize because they're not you know these aren't things that fall off the end of a production line you can't make them like that it, it's a pickup that was designed in the late 50s um when labor was cheap and um crafts well crafts trades were more you know established than they are today um they were built for that era and not now and trying to make a pickup in quantity that spec you end up back with kent armstrong which is exactly what he did yeah um yeah. and that's that's as good as you're going to get if you want quick which is great i'm not knocking them i think they're great pickups but uh, you know, they were designed to be mass-produced, as it were. Um, whereas the early, you think about it, when Burns started making them, those pickups, um, there was no, I mean, they, they actually did sell them individually later on, but they were all destined for guitars. They weren't sold individually, you know? Um, yeah. So people think there was millions of them. There, there wasn't, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, it, most of the guitars had two. Um, there's only the Viber artists and a few others had three. Um, it's very unusual that Brian May got three, and I think it was probably um, the fact that it was during that crossover between Baldwin and Burton's that they probably found yeah. the factory up and said, "Can you send me three? Or you know, because one of them is 
you know, convincingly different to the other two. So two of them were probably aimed for, originally aimed for a guitar, and one was a spare or something. Yeah. But by, by the mid-60s, they'd only just started selling them as, as individual units, and they, they were um, really destined for arch tops. They had, you know, a strap around them to fit to the end of the neck and that type of thing. Um, but yeah... If, if you want accuracy that was invented in 1959 or whatever, eight, um, you, you know, you've got to wait for it, basically. It's, they, they're not quick. And I can't afford Definitely. to have three or four staff here doing it because they just, it, you wouldn't be able to make them. They'd never pay the bill. Yeah, with, so. It's one of those skills as well that you've, you know, you've, been and spoken to the original people that built them and you've got the original tools and equipment and parts and knowledge and it's so easy to talk to you and know that you know you know exactly how they go together and you recognize all the different elements and components and parts and different wire gauges and you know it's instantly recognizable to you and you can't learn that in the space of a few days weeks even a few years that's a lifetime of knowledge going into each one of the pickups that you make to make them as accurate as you can um, to I, I, I think, these Brian May sets. I think talking to, like you say, the most valuable bit of information was talking to people who actually made them um, or components for them, should I say. Um, but you, you're dead right. Like you said earlier on, factories worked to whatever orders they'd got coming in. And... Yes, there was some, I mean, the early days that Henry Wheel made made them, very early days. Uh, later on, they were made in-house. Um, but if they got busy, and Burns did get super busy, they'd palm stuff out, you know. Yeah. Um, whoever could supply it, this is what we need. We need this gauge wire. We need this size coil. Can you do it? Yes. And that's why there's such a variation, a variety of, you know, people often say to me, I've got a Trisonic from 1962, but it doesn't look like that one inside. Is it a fake? And it's like, no, it was made by such and such, or it was made in-house. Or, um, yeah. Like I say, if they'd got the orders and they couldn't fill them, they'd get somebody in to do it, you know. So that's how factories work. Um, standard operating procedure isn't it for, exactly yeah for lots of things so there is some variation and different levels of quality and, and the, the different uh, wires involved in everything over the years is something you get to know and it's great if you've got the guitar that it came from because you can date it you know um yeah. but anyway that's yeah so um i believe you more recently you've supplied Andy Guyton with a couple of sets of old pickup covers which he then dented up and put some wood in and they ended up on the guitars used in the Bohemian Rhapsody films um yeah there was Andy phoned me up and spoke to me about it when he got to make the guitars they t they'd asked him to make them and he was really pushed for time because they wanted them quick um so he's seen more of the original guitar than I have, or, or anybody I would have thought, other than Brian May. Um, but I said to him, well, look, I'll send you some covers. 
um, you do what you got to do. And he was quite happy with that. So there were just mock-ups that on the, the film guitars, as far as I know, they were just shells. He, he just mocked yeah. the covers up and made them look like, because they were obviously miming to, you know, stuff. I, I had great problems at the beginning with them because Greg was telling me one thing. Uh, I'd seen another, and like I say, I found out later on that they were just ordering, Burns were ordering random, you know. They were, um, they'd get them from several different suppliers. Some of them might have been the Italian ones for the Baldwin stuff. Um, but it's a good, if, if you get a bashed up old Baldwin with Trisonics on, they sound good. They sound very close to um, the Brian May ones. So, as a tip for you, wait you. any any Baldwin guitar now on eBay within an hour of the people listening to the podcast, the prices have just gone up by a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there was that many with Trisonics on, was there? I, I think they no, no. They sent. They tended to use a, um, a lot of Ultrasonics and stuff like that, but uh, they were terrible pickups. God, they were awful pickups. Um, but anyway, yeah, there you go. And are you still in business outside of Andy Guyton and and the Brian May people, or is where you take on individual orders from? Yeah, or are I, you uh, sticking? I'm sort of. I get orders from all over the place. A lot of them are repairs because I've got a lot of machinery here, um, and I can pretty much pickup wise fix anything from a humble strap pickup through to Rickenbackers, through to Gretsch, whatever. Um, I get a lot of repairs um, from all over the world, really, because people say, somebody's told me you can fix this. Um, but the, the whole world is sort of set up for Fender and Gibson, you know? That's, um, yeah. that's all I tend to deal with. Um, but I'm quite lucky coming from a sort of engineering background um, if I clock a machine that will do a job, I tend to jump on it and, and buy it because I know I'll find a use for it at some stage. And uh, much to my uh, wife's dismay because there's machines everywhere around here. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, um, there's not much we, uh, we can't fix here pickup-wise and still do a lot of restorations and stuff. There's always something going on. Um, yeah, the guitar world's a busy world with everybody being at home as well. So definitely, and if someone wanted a spec, a, a spec, a set of Brian May pickups, still come to you via the website adison.co.uk. Yeah, my website's just okay for good reasons because a lot of the people we deal with, some of them are quite well named as well, but. They like the privacy, they don't, you know. So I keep it pretty low key. Um, yeah, we're still out there, and really, we, I, I get enough work that doesn't come via the website. It's more word of mouth yeah. and stuff like that. Um, so it's not my highest priority. Maybe it should be. I don't know. Um, but yeah, we've, nothing's stopped really. It's it's you know. <laughs> carried on i don't like to get typecasts for just the 
the Brian May stuff because um, it can become a bit of a bind doing the same thing constantly all the time, all yeah. the time, all the time. Um, but I've resigned myself to the fact that, yes, I have got all these parts and tools and God knows what. Um, they should be used um, and they should be done properly. They should, you know, you should be able to get a proper vintage pickup. Um, it's only fair to Henry Wheel, Jim Burns and whoever um, and not be done. And there's some great products out there in the guitar world, but there are there is a lot of dross as well. You know, you you got to pick through, and you'd hate to see a, a a name, a big name, sort of brought down by junk. So, um, yeah, I'd, business as usual. Yeah, ideal. Well, thank you ever so much for talking to me today, Ad. It's been an absolute pleasure to get to speak to you again. Probably. 15 years ago since I last put the phone up and <laughs> bent your ear about something probably completely irrelevant and you were thinking, oh, not this idiot again. No, no, I'm terrible. I, I forget people, I forget that. I'm rubbish at that. I'm all, because I keep busy and that, people email me and talk to me thinking, you know, I know them. Well. I, I'm not trying to be rude or anything like that. I just, I've, <laughs> I don't know, I've got too much going on most of the time, that's all. No, it's good. Uh, thank you for sharing your story with us, though. It's been really interesting listening to how you got into all of this and um, your various insights into Brian's pickups and Burns pickups in general and pickups in general. It's absolutely fascinating stuff. It's been a pleasure anytime. Well, you keep safe and uh, we'll speak to you again soon, hopefully. Thank you very much, Andrew. Bye. <laughs> And that was AD. You know what a fantastic chap he is. He, he couldn't say enough. And um, I think there's more more we could say and more we could talk to AD about. So maybe um, we'll be welcoming AD back in the not too distant future to chat about some of the other things he's worked on um, and a little bit more detail on some of the the other projects he's been doing with the likes of Andrew Guyton on the Time Warp Bread specials. But thanks again, AD, for your time. It was fantastic to catch up with you, mate. Um, keep safe. And uh, yeah, if anyone's interested, go to www.adison.co.uk and check out his pickups and give him an email. Um, his email, wetgilbert at hotmail.co.uk, is on the website. Drop him a line and I'm sure he'll be able to help you out. Fantastic chap. Now, at the beginning of the show, I talked about some of the other things that are coming up. Now, one of those things being I've spoken to lots of other people and recorded episodes already for the podcast, so they'll be coming out in the not too distant future. But next week, on Tuesday, the 1st of June, I am travelling to Guyton Guitars to pick up my brand new Guyton Time Warp guitar. And that is horrendously exciting for so many reasons, which I'll go through in the next episode of the Red Special Podcast. So if you want to hear from Andrew Guyton, if you want to hear all about the Time Warp Red Specials, then please, please make sure you like, subscribe, follow, do all that stuff. And check out our social media so that you can see with your eyes, not just here, all about the Time Warp Red Special. And that's coming up next. Thanks ever so much, guys, for listening. Couldn't do this without you. Keep safe, and I'll catch you in the next one. <laughs>